We're going to start in John 10, 10, and it says, The thief's purpose, steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Turn to your neighbor and say, rich and satisfying life. Now, you remember, and this house looks a little different than we saw last week, right? But let's say for a minute, your best friend gives you this house up there. Not bad, right? Would we take it? If someone gave us this house as a gift, eh, sure, why not, right? It's, it's a decent-looking house. It's a little blurry just because of my picture, right? But let's say this friend gives you this house. But as he gives you the house, as he gives it to you, you go in, you clean it up, you're excited, I got a new house, wonderful, you sell whatever you had before, right, all those things. But then he wants to come over, or she wants to come over and see it. And you're like, okay, yeah, 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 come on over. But as your friend gets there, the one who gave you the house, you invite him in the entrance, but you make him stop right there. Ah, thank you for giving me this house, but I'm not going to show you the rest today, because this is my house now, and you can just stay right here. And the point from last week was, and I apologize because I didn't plug in the cord last week, so if anybody tried to watch last week's video, it, you couldn't hear it. Anyway, but the point from last week is, see, John 10, 10, Jesus came to give us a full life. But in order to get that full life, we have to invite God into our house, but not only into the entrance of our house, we need to invite God into every part of our house, every part of our house. And so if we want that rich, full, satisfying life, not meaning money, it means so many different things in John 10, 10, that I've come to give a very full, full, full life, full life. It starts by saying, because most of us have asked God into our heart, and that is asking him into the entrance of our life. But the big question is, where did you go from there? And where did I go from there? Now, this morning, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, a little lock on a door, right? And so, because God is a gentleman, he's given us all life. He's given you the ability to leave your door open, or to leave the door locked. Now, for some of us, we have simple locks like this. Wouldn't, wouldn't we say this is a pretty simple lock on a door? Sometimes as time goes by, as words are spoken over us, we go from that simple lock, we go to a more heavy-duty lock, right? As things and words and mean people and as bosses and as friends and relatives. Till one day, some of us, this is what our heart starts to look like. Whoo, man. It takes like a bazooka machine gun and a tank to get in there. For some of us, this is what our heart and our life looks like. Doesn't it look like a jumbled mess? That's chains everywhere. Everywhere. Some of us are doors, the doors of our heart, the doors of our life. Just not going to let anybody in. I'm not going to let anybody in. And how many of us in our 34 years, something of living, without raising your hand, could say this morning, yep, there's areas of my life that I don't let anybody into. The pain, the moments, there's situations that are not going to be spoken about. And so with that, we open our opening text with this Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. 
And it says, Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions, millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Verse 30, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison, and until the debt could be paid in full. Sorry, I think I skipped a part. Then his verse 27, I did skip a part. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat, and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him a little more. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. Right, now verse 30. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Jesus at times told stories that were so powerful, and they're called parables. Parables are Bible, biblical themed stories with this theme, right, from the Bible. And I think this morning all of us kind of get why he did this, because how many of us, let's admit, and you, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, like a good love story, right? Whether you read it, whether you watch it, how many of us watch love stories? How many of us watch suspense movies and we love to be terrified? We like the hair standing up on the back of our neck. We like to be scared. We want to put ourselves <laughs> and be scared, right? And so because there's so many different personalities and so many different things we go through, we have some people who live on love, and love is what I'm looking for. So we watch love movies and we listen to you know, this and watch and read. And other people, it's fear and I like to be afraid. Jesus, he spoke parables for the same exact reason for different people, for different times, for different situations. But every time he shared a parable, there was the same shock factor. Turn to your neighbor and say, same shock factor. 
because he was speaking words of life, words, and no one had ever heard someone speak the way that Jesus spoke. This man, his words were so powerful. They were so true. They cut to the heart. And so as Jesus starts to paint the picture in this story, what did he say? There was a man who owed someone millions of dollars. Back in this day, for any person to owe anyone millions of dollars, the, the people listening, they're all in shock right now. Their mouth is dropped to the ground, and they're saying, how could anyone? Because Jesus, he didn't, he didn't say, and later on he tells the story of another man, remember, who owed 3000 3, But the first guy he brought up, he said millions and millions of dollars. And he had to grab the attention of the listeners to show the extreme debt that this man had. And as Jesus did this, he painted a picture, guess what, of humanity. For a while now, and, and some of you are thankful because I didn't start in Genesis chapter 3 this morning, which I had the previous, you know, four weeks. So today I started with a different verse. But in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, we see that God created the heavens and the earth. God created man. God created woman. Thank the Lord, right? Hallelujah. God created and gave them life. God gave man and woman life. And he said, this is yours. Take care of it. Be responsible. Take care of the animals. Take care of this. Fill it and populate it. Hallelujah. But for Adam and Eve and humanity, we see that no matter how much they were given, in our nature sometimes it's not about what I'm given, it's about what I want to take. It's about what I want to take. And so Adam and Eve took the one thing they were asked not to take. They took something that they were asked not to. And in that moment, they changed humanity forever. We know that the next chapter, their sons, one of them kills the other son. We know that as time goes on, it just was getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until Genesis chapter 6. God said, the Lord observed the extent of the human wickedness on earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Today, if you watch the news, you're going to have that same impression. What's going on in the Middle East, the way that these people fight over there? You would think this is consistently and total evil to kill babies, you know, to molest, to rape, all the horrible and horrific things they were doing. It's been going on since the beginning of time. Genesis chapter 6, God said, mankind, imagination. It's just bad. And why is it bad? Because a man and a woman decided to take instead of give, which God, that's how he made us. He made us to be givers, not takers. And so from that moment on, it just got worse and worse. And what did God do? God sent a flood. Remember Noah? Remember Noah, the one good guy? And God flooded the earth. And God, the water, people drowned. They had an opportunity to get on the boat. And so Noah, he, it took 100 years to build a sucker. He gave everyone an opportunity. If you want to come on the boat and live, you can. But nobody but his family. Even the animals were wiser than the rest of the people because what? They got on the boat with Noah and his family. And so the people had a choice. We could look at this and we could say, man, God's made everybody died. No, he's not. He gave him an opportunity. Get on the boat, you live. Get off the boat, stay off the boat, you die. 
God is graceful. God gives us choice and opportunity. So everyone who went on the boat lived. And from that moment, then we see the plan shifted. We see there's the calling of Abram. We see Abram's turned into Abraham. Abram has Isaac. Then he has Jacob. Jacob, who turns his name into Israel. Israel, this, this tribe of people that God called the Jewish people. They were called. They were chosen to be in a promised land. They ran out of food and time, and so they traveled down to Egypt, where it was nice. It was beautiful. But for the, for the Jewish people, as they get to Egypt, they became so numerous. They were populating, just like God had told them to. So they were having fun populating the earth. But since the Jewish people became so pop, popular and powerful that the Egyptians said, oh my gosh, this is our land. But if we l allow them to continue to do this, they're going to overrun us. And so it says that they made the Jewish people become slaves. And into slavery, they were forced to build. They were killing their firstborn males. Another horrific tragedy that the Jewish people were going through. After years and years of suffering, God had mercy on them, and he sends a man named Moses, right? Moses, who was thrown out to try and be protected. Moses was this man and this leader who didn't want the job, right? Like many of us, when God asks us to do something, we don't want the job either, right? You can ask somebody else, God, I'm not qualified. I don't got the speech. I don't got the knowledge. I don't got the looks. I don't got this. I don't got that. But God said, Moses, I've called you to help deliver the people. And so God used Moses, and they get into the promised land. And what happens in the promised land? As they get there, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, some rules. Turn your neighbor and say, yes, I love rules. Rules are so awesome and amazing. But you know what happened also there? God builds a temporary temple. And in the, in the middle of wandering around in circles in the wilderness, hanging out, God establishes some rules and some laws, and then he starts to show them the, the pathway to freedom. As people sin, as people make mistakes, you're going to bring an offering to the temple. As you bring your offering to the temple, you're going to be forgiven and cleansed of your sins. The priest, once a year, will go into the most holy place, and he'll offer a sacrifice so that the people can be forgiven and free. And it was, was this something that God did? just to set forever and ever and ever? Or was there something deeper with what God had asked them to do? Now, as we take a step back and think, okay, God gave them Ten Commandments. God built a temple and a church for them, for people to come where their sins could be forgiven. We look at our government, and we all love our government to death. They're just wonderful. Everybody, top down. You know, for the last couple hundred years, there's 30,000 rules, regulations, and laws and this morning, how many of us have ever complained about our government? Not that we're going to raise our hand, right? How many of us have ever complained about something that our government does and our government says? Not any of us, I know, because we love our government. The police department, what are they employed to do to keep the law? If you're speeding, sometimes you don't get caught. But if you speed enough in your vehicle, eventually you will get what? You're going to get busted, and you're going to get a ticket, right? So with that, I wonder if every one of us had our own country, 
If every one of us had our own state, if every one of us had, and we're thinking, yes, my own world, right? I wonder how you would lead your world. I wonder how you would lead your state. I wonder how many rules and laws and regulations you would have. Now, believe me, there would be states where it'd be, woohoo, there are no rules. You can do whatever you want, no shoes, right, no shirt, no service. You would do whatever. You would say, there's free to be me and you, right, and you can do whatever you want here in my state. And there would be other states where there'd be very tough laws and restrictions. Just like when we were a kid, how many of us did not like the rules our parents had? How many of us had ever been frustrated to the point of wanting to punch our wall like, oh man, they seem so mean sometimes. And then some of us have grown up and become parents and like, we need some rules. We need some laws around here, right? See, people view God the same exact way sometimes. They look at God and some of them get rebellious because they say, what? God, you're asking me to do this? But yet if you, what the things that you're in charge of, the things that you're in control over, you do have some rules and regulations for you as well. And so we see that in our nature and humanity, Jesus, he's painting this picture of this man and he's painting a picture of us. Because we all, all of us in here this morning, there's no way we could obey every rule and law. Because the Bible says we're born broken. We're born broken, and we're all born broken people. I love how the man says, as he's about to go to jail, and it says his wife, his kids, and he's about to lose everything. He starts begging and pleading, please, please don't do this to me. Don't do this to my kids. Don't do this to my wife. Don't do this. I will pay. I will pay. Have you ever made a mistake before and said, don't worry, I'm going to take care of this? Have you ever done something really, really foolish and said, don't worry, I got this? See, physically and spiritually sometimes, this is where things get disconnected. Spiritually you will never be able to pay for your mistakes. If you do something wrong and you extremely hurt someone, you are not able to pay for what you do. You can't, I can't, we can't. And so this man in the story is he's begging and he's pleading and, and the king is looking at him and he's having compassion. He says, I'm gonna let you go. Millions and millions and millions of dollars I'm going to let you go. Wow. This guy was released. This guy, oh my gosh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? I can't imagine owing millions of dollars, right? And being released and saying, you know what? You owe nothing. Nothing. But no matter that he was forgiven and released, guess what? He was forgiven but he wasn't free. He was forgiven, he was released of debt, but he wasn't free. He wasn't free. Wow. Why was he not free? Because we see that in the next part of the story, this guy sees one of his friends. He owed him $3,000. So what, chump change, right? He says, I want my money now. Guy says, I don't have it. 
he grabs him by the throat. He didn't do the Star Wars thing, because you don't have to grab in Star Wars. You just, you know, use your fingers and act like you do, right? But this guy didn't do the Star Wars thing. He grabbed his throat. You're going to pay me now. No mercy. To be forgiven millions of dollars. Gone. But then to turn around, we see that he was released, forgiven, but not free. Something else was happening inside. Because he took this man and he put him in jail. People watching, they see what's going on. Because you know what, at the end of the day, and we, we, we realize this with our phones and social media today, everybody's watching. There is nothing you can get away with. There is nothing that you can hide. There is nothing no one, any one of us can do and get away with. Everything is visible. And so for this man, he throws his, his friend in jail. Other people run to the king and tell the king what he did. Look what this man did. And so God goes on to say, Jesus, in this story, this is what I will do. He grabs that man, he throws him in prison, and he says, not only in prison this time, he says, you're going to be tortured. And Jesus goes on to say very powerful words. If you don't learn to forgive like I forgive you, this is what will happen to you. So we think back to the, the beginning, the picture of our house, so beautiful, so nice. We ask Jesus into our, our heart, our life. The Bible says you get a new beginning. You get a new start. You're fresh and new. And for many people, this is where it starts and this is where it stops. Because then we start to lock doors. Okay, I've let God into my life. Oh, you can't go into this door, though, God. Uh-uh. Nope, 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 nope. Nope, you can't go into this one either. I got good locks on there. And so one of the most painful places that people don't want God to go to is that door of forgiveness and unforgiveness in our heart. No matter what God has done for us, no matter what God has said, no matter what God has done, sometimes we don't want to open that door. We want it locked. If you go to Mark chapter eleven twenty two, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, be lifted up, thrown in the sea. It will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. If you believe that you received it, it will be yours. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your heavenly Father will forgive your sins too. There's many of us, we're praying, we're believing, we're asking. And sometimes, as we know in, in formulas and math, every part of the formula is important. And so if we look at this as a formula to say that if I have to pray, what is the greatest thing at the end? If you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven, and God's not going to what? Listen. Forgiveness and the way that we treat people who are mean to us it shows if we understand that God has forgiven me. 
And because he's forgiven me, I have to forgive everybody else. Colossians 3.13, make allowance, or as other translations say, make room. Now, many of us, if you had some friends moving in, and, and these are wonderful friends, and you get along with them so well, and, and there's not going to be any weird things. But let's say you invite you know, some friends to move into your house, but you don't move anything. You don't make any room for them. They're just going to come and kind of sit and sleep wherever they can find a spot. See, this is how many of us treat people in humanity. It's like inviting people into our life, but we don't make room for them. We are broken. Everybody else is broken. And because we live in a broken world, we're waiting for the redemption of the day that Jesus comes back. What did Paul say we have to do? Make room for people's brokenness. Isn't that one of the hardest things to do? Isn't that one of the hardest things to do is make room for other people's faults? Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. You must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Isaiah 53, if you have your Bibles. Isaiah 53, starting verse 1, says this. It says, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful, majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised. He was rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought... His troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Verse 6, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's past to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Verse 8, unjustly condemned, he was led away. And no one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, had had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. I've had in my few years of living probably about eight, nine speeding tickets, and I've had a few other tickets. I haven't had anyone for a while, okay? I've learned to kind of slow it down, so that's good. But I may us know today when you get, when you're speeding, you get pulled over, and either you're sweet talk the cop, and, and maybe they let you go, maybe they don't, usually pay a fine. And see, what we fail to see every day 
with our sin, with our brokenness, we're all born sinners. There's not one of us in here who's perfect. We all make mistakes. Whether it's in our mind, whether it's in our feelings, we all make mistakes. But here's what happened. Like every time you, me, speed, get a ticket, spiritually, Jesus shows up, tells the cop, don't worry, I got, I'll take care of this. Every single time we make a mistake, Jesus, I got this. I got you. Don't worry. You're covered. It's on me. Every single time. Why did I bring up the law in the story a little while ago? Because God had to establish law and order so that we would see, that we would understand boundaries, that we'd understand circles, and we need to live within the framework of doing what's right and what's wrong. And doing what's wrong, there's always a consequence to wrong. But even in the law that he set up, Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill the law. And how did he fulfill the law? He fulfilled it for me. Jesus fulfilled it for you because he came to be the last sacrifice. In the wilderness, when they were traveling around and they built a temple, they started offering animals, perfect, spotless animals as sacrifice to be the picture of the one day that the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus, would come to the earth and be the final sacrifice, that final sacrifice that for any man, any woman, did not have to keep going to the temple and temple and temple and bringing animals in to ask for forgiveness. Now it's just going to one place, one man, the mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. That when we come to Jesus and say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Instantly says, I'm, I got you. I'm going to carry all your sin. I'm going to take it all off you. And now I'm going to carry every one of your sins. When you stand before God, he's going to say, you are a perfect woman, a perfect man, because I got you. What I've done, what I've given myself to. Matthew 26, 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it into pieces. He gave to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. They would recount, they would retell the exact same story. God rescued our people. God delivered our people. God brought them up out of Egypt. God sent plagues to break Pharaoh's heart, and God rescued them. God sent them through a lake on dry ground, the Red Sea. God used these people. God did great things with these people. But now the story changes. Now the story shifts because it's not about what God did in Egypt. It's about what God was doing on the cross. But for us in this moment, it's what are we allowing him to do now? Our story, the house, we've allowed him into the entrance. But have we let him into any of our rooms? And so Jesus holds up the bread and he says he took the bread and he blessed it. He broke it into pieces. He gave it to the disciples saying, take this, eat it, for this is my body. Verse 27, then Jesus took a cup of wine. He gave thanks to God for it. And he said to them, each of you must drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and people. 
is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And as Jesus said this, no longer would you need a priest, you don't need a man. The moment Jesus gave his life on the cross, his blood was spilled. Instantly, you had instant access to the Heavenly Father. All that God did, he became the bridge on the cross for us so that there was an instant access. We didn't have to wait in line to see a priest. We didn't have to wait in line to talk to the pastor. Jesus dying on the cross, he became your bridge, my bridge, for instant access. And he said, this is the new covenant that I've given my life for you. How many of us in here this morning would consider ourselves as generous people? Generous usually means if you're a generous person, that you're a very giving person. Peter, talking with Jesus, he comes home and says, I'm feeling generous today. If someone wrongs me, I think I'll forgive him seven times. Seven times, that's kind of a lot, right? For many of us, we don't let it get to seven. One, two, three strikes, you're out, right? So Peter's feeling generous, he's feeling good. How many times should I forgive? Jesus said, no. It's 70 times 7. And did he mean 490? No. The language that he used was limitless and free. I want you to forgive. Not thinking in your head to be generous a few times here and a few times there. Let your forgiveness be limitless and free. Because how many of us have seen, I'll forgive you, but it's going to cost you for me to forgive you. I will be nice to you again, but it's going to cost you for me to be nice to you again. How many of us, let's be honest, how many of us, we can make excuses? I can forgive you, maybe for this, but not over here for this. God says I don't have to. We've been in this thing called exposed. What is exposed? It's not to expose us and who we are, but it's to expose the devil's lies. What is one of the big, biggest lies the devil has? He does not want you to be forgiving. So what's he going to do? He's going to give you excuses. I don't have to forgive. Or I did. I did forgive them. Let me ask you a question. Now, God says in Psalms, which is so wonderful, right? Psalms 103, 12, he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. God's removed our sin. You know what that means? He's forgiven your sin, and then he forgot about it. And then he asks us to do the same. But if we say we forgive someone, but continue to talk about what they've done, does that show that we forgave them? If we continue to talk about people and their brokenness, does it show that we are forgiven people? Absolutely not. See, one of the things in our nature which is so wonderful is, and remember, God made us, right? So we're filled with all kinds of good stuff. But you know what we do sometimes? In our conversations with the people and friends and, and coworkers and this and that and the other, you know what we do? The minute we talk about another person, we begin to manipulate their feelings to the person that we talk about. We have to be careful to understand that if we're constantly talking bad about other people's brokenness, 
We're trying to manipulate how people feel. I was listening to a podcast for, pa for pastors, and one of the things they said was that for, you know, the pastor and the pastor's wife, when they go home, when they get home, one of the things they shouldn't do, believe it or not, is not talk about church. Because when they get home, and they shouldn't talk about church, because they should allow their kids the freedom to decide how church is, what church is. And I'm mean, thinking about this. See, this is, this is one of the faults we have as people, not just as pastors, as people. When we go to work, when we go to church, no matter where we go, when we go somewhere else, what do we do? We talk about where we just came from. But we don't realize then, and then in our tone and how we talk, and I do this sometimes in, in conversations with my wife sometimes. Sometimes my tone or my kids are not right. We don't understand that the tone that we're talking with is not the tone that God put inside of us. And so sometimes we just keep on talking, 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 talking. And the question is, before we start to wrap up this morning, don't worry about it. There was a man in the story, and it's tragic, because he was forgiven and released, but he wasn't free. And it shows he wasn't free because how he treated other people. Yes, you're forgiven. We've taken communion. We've honored. We've remembered. We've asked God into our heart. But that does not mean that any one of us are free this morning. Freedom, the full life that God has for every one of us, full, rich, satisfying, means that we have to invite God into every part of our life. But in inviting into every part of our life, that's when we begin to see freedom. If I was going to stand before a judge, I definitely would want to stand before a judge like God. Because I know that in my 47 years of living, I've made some bad choices. But I've also made good choices. And the choices that we make, and the things that we do, and the things that we say, all of it can be described with the most powerful F word that there is. And it's forgiveness. Because God has forgiven you, unlimited and free. He did all the work. He died on the cross. And in return, and in return, all he's saying is, now go and do likewise. Matthew 18, 35, this is what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. And no matter what we do, and no matter what we say, if we make excuses and we continue to talk about it, we're just like the guy in the story. I'm released, I'm forgiven, but I'm not free. Let's pray.